Run, 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 as fast as you can. You can't catch me. I'm the gingerbread man! You're a monster! I'm not the monster here, you are! You and the rest of that fairy tale trash poisoning my perfect world. Now tell me, where are the others? Eat me! Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Tiana. And this is Next Door Villain. A podcast where we uncover the villains to discover their humanity. Somebody once told me that the world was going to roll me. I, I ain't the sharpest tool in the shed. She was looking kind of dumb, with a finger and her thumb in the shape of an L, like, on her forehead. And, well, the years. The years start coming. And they don't stop coming? And they don't stop coming. (laughs) It's crazy how that happens. And fed to the rules and you know i hit the ground running didn't make sense not to live for fun your brain gets smart but your head gets some so much to do so much to see you'll never know if you don't go you'll never shine if you don't glow (laughs) hey 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 (laughs) tiana you're an all-star oh thank you get your game on (laughs) go play Okay, thank you. Only shooting stars break the mold. That's, yep, they say that. Someone says that. (laughs) Thank you for listening to me. Yeah. And for encouraging me. I -hmm. appreciate it. Yes, happy to be on your team. I know know it's it's hard out there. It's hard out there with my finger and my thumb. (laughs) The shape of an L on my forehead. Yes. Mm-hmm. Welcome, everyone, to Next Door Villain Podcast. Uh, I'm Joe, here with uh, apparently loser Tiana. <laughs> and we are here today to talk about Lord Farquaad from the film Shrek. Very mm-hmm. famous film from my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> and also from yours, Tiana, I assume, because we're the same age, basically. <laughs> yes. If my voice sounds a little bit weird today, it's only because I'm recovering from COVID. I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I just want to say for everyone out there, if I, you know, I'm young and I am healthy and I'm fully vaccinated and boosted, and I assumed that if I got COVID, it would just be like a light cold and it would be totally fine, but it was still pretty rough. So just... Take appropriate precautions wherever you're at. I think wearing a mask for me is definitely worth it. I don't I don't know exactly where I caught it, but um, in hindsight, I really wish I had not caught it because it's been really, really rough and I'm only just now starting to get over it after about a week. Damn. I'm sorry. Anyways, uh, so 
We're also actually kind of going to try out a little bit of a different format this episode than we usually do. Uh, feel free to let us know if you like it or not. We're going to start with sort of a little biography about the villain that we're talking about, and then we're going to kind of pull out a couple themes, talk about a personal question, and at the end, after we do our, our literary piece, obviously, we are going to rate the villain on a scale that we will figure out hopefully by the time we get to it. So stay tuned for that. that. It could be fun. It could be dumb. We don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I'm really excited to learn more about Lord Farquaad, the Lord, my yes. Lord and Savior. Yes. What, what? <laughs> I don't know. Not, not a very good Christ figure, I don't. <laughs> so um, we're talking about Lord Farquaad, his full name, Lord Maximus Farquaad. Uh, Lord is not his first name. That's a, that's a title. It's um, <laughs> Maximus really? Farquaad. Yes. <laughs> and this is a character we don't know a ton about his backstory. But Tiana, I want to see, do you know who his parents are? I bet there's some lords who birthed a lord. <laughs> um, no, I don't. I don't actually know. All right. So this is actually really interesting. And this comes from Shrek the Musical. He's got a musical number where we learn who his parents are. So his mother is the princess from The Princess and the Pea. Okay. Do you remember that story? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's a bunch of mattresses that she was sleeping on, and they put a pea under all those mattresses, and she could still feel it kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> She was like, Allie. That's exactly the story. And <laughs> okay, it, cool. I remember that story as well, and I was like, why was the pea under the mattress? This doesn't make any sense at all. So I went back, mm -hmm. and I looked at the story, and it didn't make any more sense. Okay, <laughs> So that's what happens with fairy tales. They're just kind of there. Yeah. Especially those old, like this is an old Hans Christian Andersen fairy tale. Uh, yeah. Uh, and a lot of those stories are weird, but I, I want to rehash it just briefly. So there's this prince and he wants to marry a princess, but he meets all these women and they don't all have very good manners and they aren't real princesses. Apparently. I don't know what a fake princess is. Right. But he's so worried about marrying an unreal a, a princess who's not a real princess. Yeah, that's stressful. <laughs> yes. That's like their version of catfish. Like Yeah. 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 Actually, yeah, that's that's all these women are coming up and they're like, I wanna marry you. I'm and... a real princess, I promise. And then they're like, Okay, we're gonna finally meet together and see if she really is a princess. And there's like a like a cameraman and and then they they meet at a park. <laughs> oh my God, you're not a princess. And it's drama, and she has a kid. And yeah, yeah, she doesn't know how to use the right fork for a salad. Yeah, yeah, it's stressful. Just not. <laughs> <laughs> so one day, this this woman stumbles in off the street, and she's soaking wet because it's raining outside. Okay. Um, she's she's not just randomly wet. And she claims to be a princess, but they're skeptical because of all these other women who weren't actually princesses. But his mom has this brilliant idea. She's like, okay, we'll take this woman in and we'll put a pea under her mattress. And then we'll stack 19 more mattresses on top of it. But we won't tell her. Uh, so Perfect plan. Just makes so much sense. Yeah, ton of sense. And to me, I'm like, did this princess not like wonder... 
why there are 20 mattresses on this bed. (laughs) Also, logistically, mattresses are heavy. And I especially probably in medieval times, they were probably stuffed with like hay that weren't made with like fancy, like lightweight foam like they are today. So logistically, like how did she get all these 20 mattresses stacked up onto this bed? And then she would have had to have a ladder to get up on top of it, presumably. Anyways, aside the point, she wakes up in the morning, the princess, and she's like, oh my gosh, what was in that mattress? It was so uncomfortable. And she had, and, and then she had, she had a bruise on her back to prove it. And <laughs> oh, the pee punched her. <laughs> yeah. And, and then they were like, oh, she must be a real princess because only a real princess would be sensitive enough to feel the pee. I wish I could give more context to that story, but that is right. literally the story. So that's how you know if you're a princess or not. So makes sense. We just <laughs> maybe need to put a pee under our mattresses. You know, we'll come together tomorrow and be like, hey, do you feel the pee? The Yeah. Pee? Try this with your partner <laughs> Yeah. to find out if they're worthy. <laughs> so that's Farquaad's mom. Very sensitive. Aw. Now... Do you know who Farquaad's dad is? The P. Nope. Okay. Also, not the prince from that story. So either this must be like a, yeah, this They had be, a divorce? Ooh, unclear. It's unclear the timeline of things. But Farquaad's mom, the princess, well, she dies. So one night she kind of falls off the mattresses and dies. That sucks. Yeah, so... It was a good idea to start with, but ultimately she died because of it. Rest in peace. Farquaad's dad, however, not the prince, but he's an unhappy miner. Um, he's very short. He's someone you might know, Tiana. He's a miner who is short. He's a very short miner. He mines for gold. And he's very short. And he's unhappy. Is he a dwarf from Snow White Seven Dwarfs? Yes. <gasps> That's awesome! Oh, I had no idea, and I just guessed that. I deserve a cookie. So his dad is grumpy. Oh! Oh my gosh! And Lord, his dad is grumpy, and he would follow around Snow White and, like, be Snow White's little man. There's just a lot of connections going on. It's also weird, then, that age-wise, that Farquaad might be interested in Snow White. Yes, yes, that's what I was kind of thinking about. I guess I guess we could say this, maybe maybe this all happened way before the Snow White story. Maybe. When Grumpy was much younger, this was maybe before the Princess and the Pea incident. He was a young lad. Yeah, so Farquaad's mom, before she dies, she basically leaves Grumpy with baby Farquaad. Baby Maximus, I guess, would be his name. Max. That's cuter. Max. So she leaves Max with Grumpy, and Grumpy, I guess, leaves, abandons him in the forest one day. Because he's so grumpy. He's just like, fuck children. Maybe he just... He's just like, I don't want a child anymore. (laughs) He was heartbroken, maybe, because the mom left. He couldn't make a living on his own. Uh, You know, he's living with seven other dudes. Yeah, that's a lot of dudes. So not an ideal childhood for mm-hmm. little Max Farquad. Also, so that implies that Grumpy's last name is Farquad. That's exactly what I was just going <laughs> to yeah. say. It's like Grumpy Farquad. Aw. I also heard the other dwarves referenced as his uncles, 
which means that it's also what happy Farquad, dopey Farquad, Doc Farquad. <laughs> <laughs> if you were a a seven dwarf, which one would you be? What I don't even remember the other dwarves. I'd probably be Doc, to be honest. Yeah, I'd probably like. There's one. Maybe it's bashful. I don't know. Oh yeah, yeah. You could be bashful or be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm bashful. I'm bashful Farquad. So that's really all the detail we have about his childhood. And then whatever, a bunch of stuff must happen. He grows up and he somehow becomes a lord. And do you know what a lord is? Maybe it's like just a guy who oversees a town or like a a mini society or like kind of oversees like an area of land, maybe. Yeah, that's actually almost almost word for word (laughs) the correct definition. So... The term lord, it's often used as kind of an an umbrella term for people in the ruling class that were not specifically royalty. Um, I got all this info from medievalchronicles.com. I did not verify if they were a (laughs) reliable source, but sounded reliable to me. A lord, more specifically, is is someone that the king has just basically kind of like given land to and like given an area to oversee. And then the lord like leases that land out to like different landowners and people below them. So he's not technically royalty. And that is why in Shrek, we learn that he needs to marry a princess to become a king because he doesn't have actually have any royal blood himself. But his mother was a princess, right? So it seems like he should have been royalty. Hmm. That's a great point. Maybe he didn't know his mom was a princess or maybe no one believed him or... Yeah. Or he didn't have the papers. Oh, or maybe, maybe because his dad was a dwarf. She married a commoner. Yeah. I don't know though. You know, if I were Lord Farquaad, I would be like, you know what? I was really meant to be a king because my mom was a princess, but she died because of a pee. He may not have known his mom, to be honest. That's sad. Yeah. Anyways, so he becomes the ruler of this town, Duloc. He becomes obsessed with making everything perfect. Everyone there dresses the same. Everyone acts the same. Everyone looks the same. He decides to exile all of the fairy tale creatures, and then he boasts that Duloc is the most perfect kingdom of them all. And the magic mirror is like, uh, wait a minute, you can't call Duloc a kingdom because you're not a king and you have to marry a princess. So that's how the events of Shrek kick off, where he has to find someone to go save Fiona and bring her back. And then Shrek does that. And that's sort of where we are today in the Shrek movie. If you haven't seen it. <laughs> you should you know, see it. <laughs> yeah, it, it holds up. Yeah. Came out in what, 2001? Maybe, yeah. The other day I was watching it in a coffee shop because our power went out because of a storm. So we went to a coffee shop and I think people just witnessed me like snickering at Shrek (laughs) on my computer. Like, (laughs) somebody once told me Lord Farquaad is a king. So that's his backstory. Okay. I like that. I like that. I learned a lot. I didn't realize that was his mom. I didn't realize that was his dad. I like that. Yeah. And I think that history will sort of inform or help add some color to maybe some of the more interesting aspects of him that we'll empathize with. But do you want to start with sort of your your way into empathizing with him? Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the theme, the theme of order and the idea that Lord Farquaad is just obsessed with it. 
Lord Farquaad is so orderly and inflexible and clean. And you mentioned this, right? He's kind of obsessed with the way things should be. Mm-hmm. His land of Duloc is really clean, which I actually kind of appreciate. Like, I appreciate the cleanliness of Duloc when I watched the movie. Especially when you consider that, like, medieval times were pretty gross. Yeah. Like, people, like, were, like, throwing their poop out windows onto the street. <laughs> Like horses were pooping everywhere. There was like way more poop than I think I would be comfortable with. (laughs) They had a lot of orgies. I don't know why, but every like medieval movie is like, let's have an orgy. That's worse when you know that how clean could they have been? Right. Not not very clean. That's just how it was. Like I'm I'm talking like physical dirt, not like. Right. Right. Yeah. Not that they were like gross people. (laughs) They could have been. I don't know. Well, yeah, they couldn't. couldn't. I watched a little too much Game of Thrones, probably. But um, (laughs) I also like in Duloc, there's like these robotic people in the info booth that are like, don't make waves, stay in line, and we'll get along fine. And he's a planner. I appreciate how Lord Farquaad like planned his and Fiona's wedding and royal outfits. You see that like perfectly laid out in his bedroom. And I think a lot of women would kind of dig that, like how intense he is on planning and making sure that the wedding day goes really smoothly and making sure that you have everything laid out the clothes the the jewelry so he tries really hard to make things very orderly and nice he hates fairy tale entities and i think a big reason why is because they are so chaotic and kind of like unproductive i mean i'm going to sound like a capitalist here but like <laughs> um First of all, I think Lord Farquaad is grasping order so heavily to cope with the fact that he like exists in a world of extreme chaos when chaotic fairy tale entities exist. I think he recognizes how chaotic they are and how they don't necessarily help society. Like they run around and they fly and they frantically I don't know, they they're just very frantic and they're obsessed with their fairy tales, with the stories and how they go. So they're not very productive because they're obsessed with their fairy tale stories. So like Pinocchio keeps saying that he's a real boy and that's it and nothing else of substance, you know. And then Snow White is just dead because that's how the story goes. And like, why is she dead? She could be doing much more than being dead. <laughs> you do sound like like very, very capitalist. I am. But like, I'm just trying to like see things from his perspective, right? I'm not I'm normally not this way. But Robin Hood is just like dancing around in the forest harassing women. Like, what the fuck is he doing? So obnoxious, Robin Hood. Yeah, like they could be doing something else. Like that seems a little more fulfilling, a little more productive. I don't know. Like, yeah. if, if you want to put it in like a little bit of a better light rather than productive, maybe it's, it's sort of like a lack of equity, whereas like the regular people all sort of have the same range of like abilities and limitations. And then these fairy tale creatures, they can fly or they can do magic or they have all these like special things that allow them to do different things and to be different things. Um, and they just don't fit inside the parameters and so like they sort of exist outside of the ability to make rules and and to create order like you said they're sort of chaotic because they need their own special exceptions to be made for them because of the things they can do and that just makes it so difficult to have any sort of sense of control or order or perfection as um, he's trying to go for it's just easier not to have them there 
Right. And he's trying to correct it through authoritarian means, which is not a good idea. <laughs> Lord Farquaad recognizes how extreme they are, but then he also doesn't recognize how extreme he's being on the other side. Um, like he's kind of taking it in the other direction where he needs he's obsessed with order. And I'm more of the belief where like I think both of these things can balance out and you can see the benefit of chaos and order working together, but he doesn't see that, right? So I think there's just like a few lessons that I took from Lord Farquaad, which is just if you're like worried about someone else's extreme, you might be the other extreme. Mm-hmm. Or you might need to recognize that your extreme and that other person's extreme could work together. Like I think fairy tale entities could work with the land of Duloc if Lord Farquaad was willing to do that. It- it's great to have whimsical things happen in life. You have to have that. If if not, things are very boring. But then if you have too much of that, then nothing gets done and society falls. Another lesson is just that chaos can be difficult to live with, which might make someone go the other extreme route in being very orderly and rigid in order to survive the chaos. Well, you can imagine, based on his backstory, that he may have had a very chaotic upbringing where one of his parents was dead and the other one abandoned him. So we we don't know what happened in his early life, but you can imagine that it must have been a struggle for him. He must have been sort of bouncing around a lot, having to work really hard and probably being in these difficult, crazy situations. And I suspect maybe that one of the ways he was able to get through it was by creating control over things, learning to control his surroundings so that they didn't control him. Uh, And that's ultimately what probably led him to become a lord, which is pretty high status for someone who probably started from basically nothing. So this this control has brought him all the good things that he probably has in his life so far. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's pretty successful. Um, And I guess I didn't really realize that at first. Like, I think I looked at him and assumed that, oh, mommy and daddy did this for him or gave him land, and that's how he became a lord. But that backstory really helps to point out that, actually, actually, he's got some bootstraps pulling. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, just simply because we haven't mentioned it, and I, I don't want people to get mad at me for condoning a torturous murderous person oh torturous all he did was pull some buttons okay sorry (laughs) remove some buttons he chopped the legs off of a gingerbread man and like and you might say oh it's just a gingerbread man but like if we are to believe this universe Mm -hmm. that these things these creatures are all living conscious sentient beings then we must think about a gingerbread person the same as a human as far as like pain and whatnot right Mm -hmm. So, I mean, this was a terrible scene for a children's movie in that regard, that he was literally like physically torturing, chopping the legs off of another creature for his own personal gains. This is where like I can understand his feeling of wanting to create order and control, but he's taken it way, way too far. It's gotten way out of control and it's not good. I just like how you make that scene so serious. And I appreciate you doing that. But that entire time of, do you know the Muffin Man? Oh, yeah, the one that lives on Drury Lane. Like, that is my favorite part of the whole movie. Cracks me up. That scene was so funny to me when I was younger. 
And when I rewatched it last week as an adult, and it might have been like I was also sort of in my like COVID fever delirium when I was watching this film. So maybe that affected it. But I was like a little bit horrified that this was considered like a funny, fun scene when it really like was so clearly painful torture. Not good. It's like the equivalent of waterboarding. Yeah, maybe worse than waterboarding. See, ripped off a button. That's like someone ripping off your nipple, probably. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah, I think you're, you're right about that. Okay, yeah, it's not so funny anymore. Oof-da. Another thing I like about Farquaad is um, I know people make fun of his appearance, and you'll get into the height thing soon. But like, if you look closely, he has a pretty good jawline. Yeah, he's mostly jawline. He's mostly <laughs> I like it. I like it. I mean, I was trying to like find, like, is he attractive? You know, like, is he attractive, but we just don't know it because we're clouded by other people's opinions on Lord Farquaad. And I was like, I like the jawline. It seems like you might be attracted to him and you're trying to justify it. Oh, you are. Okay. I like the five o'clock shadow thing going on on his face, but his nipples are too high. His (laughs) nipples are like by his his armpits, basically like whoop. Yeah. So should we we talk about his physical appearance? Because I think... It's uh, important to this character. Oh, yeah. And honestly, why have we not mentioned... Have we mentioned yet even that he's incredibly short? Not yet. I was waiting for you to like... Yeah, that should have been like probably in the very beginning of the episode. So so Lord Farquaad is very short. I don't know how short, but like shorter than most people. And it makes a lot of sense now that we know that his father was a dwarf. Yes. He's like, I guess, half dwarf, half human. Um, So he's very short. He has a very large head. His head, I think, is almost probably the size of the rest of his body, it it seems like. Yeah. I don't want to, like, make fun of his appearance too much, especially in this world where there are so many different sorts of people and creatures that all live together. And so, in in a sense, we should be sort of celebrating all the differences in, in the way that people look. Or I just find it funny that, like... Shrek is like farting in a pond and killing a, a frog, <laughs> and they're like, "Oh, Lord Farquaad's short." <laughs> it doesn't make total sense. Like everyone looks fucking off the rails. I don't know. They just yeah, ev- everyone is bonkers looking. If I want to knock Lord Farquaad on his looks at all, it's I hate his haircut. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's doing him any good. <laughs> Oh, that um, reminds me, I did ask a few people what they thought of Lord Farquaad when I sent them an image of him shirtless. One of my internet friends um, said, I'm pretty sure that's my hair. (laughs) (laughs) So some people have that hairstyle, Joe. Yeah, a lot of young women. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, she's a woman. So she's like, I think that's my hair. Yeah, women have that haircut. Yeah. But and men do too, and that's okay. It's just not my preference. Not my <laughs> yeah. On his head. I don't I don't think it's a good match. Anyways, I bring up his height because I think it is an important part of his character and how he acts. Shrek sort of has the observation when he reaches the kingdom, but before he knows how big Farquaad is, of the like giant, really, really tall castle in the middle. Um, and Shrek says, well, what do you think he's compensating for? 
Yeah. I think there's probably a little bit of that going on where he's feeling like he needs to compensate for his height with his like power and with his control. I suspect knowing who his father is, a fairy tale creature, that that also might be sort of where his resentment towards the fairy tale creatures come as well. Like, I, I think you're right about the chaos thing, but I think it also might be some like resentment where his body to him is almost like a physical reminder of his, you know, of, of his father, who is a fairy tale creature um, and who left him and abandoned him and left him with nothing. And he had to probably scrape and crawl out of, um, <laughs> a life in the forest alone to get to where he is today. And so now his, his size is sort of a physical representation that he has to live with and acknowledge every single day. And other people are looking at him and probably laughing at him and making comments. Um, Tiana, are you actually crying? Or I can't I tell. I'm trying. Well, I just, I thought you were legitimately like breaking down into tears just now. And I, I had to stop talking because I was worried. Oh, no. I No, I was just kind of poking okay. fun a little bit. Well, I appreciate how we get on this podcast and we take this, like, cartoon character. And we're, like, ripping the hearts out of people listening. Like, he had a tough life, awful backstory, tragedy. And I just love how we can like take something that's so childlike and mm-hmm. make it devastating. And it warms my heart, but also <laughs> is kind of funny. Um, so yeah, keep going about the the oppression of Lord Farquaad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I just I just think he he probably harbors a lot of resentment for his physical appearance and the fact yeah. that it sort of represents his father who abandoned him. And that probably reflects in the way that he approaches his leadership and his hatred for other fairy tale creatures. You stabbed me. Oh, man. Ouch. Ouch. That, that's my whole point. Um, <laughs> How are you feeling? Are you feeling okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling fine. Okay. I just want to make sure because you're dealing with COVID. So if, if you need to take a breather, just let me know. And I will say stuff instead. All right. Great. So let's make this conversation a little more personal now. Okay. So we've talked about his physical appearance and how that probably affected who he is. So. You feeling okay now? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Just want to make sure you're okay. Okay. What's your question? Yeah. So we've been talking a lot about his physical appearance and how that has affected who he is and his actions. So I'm wondering, Tiana, if there's a physical attribute about yourself that you're insecure about and how has that affected the way that you've acted in your life? I'm perfect. Never been insecure about anything in my life. Oh, wow. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Um, <laughs> gosh. Um, so I am a sheet of paper. I'm a sheet of paper, meaning I put on a swimming suit and I will blind you mm. with how pale and chalky white I am. And I went to Sephora the other day and I asked her to do like a foundation test on me. And she was like, this is really hard because it's hard to find a color that's completely white when you don't have like any 
under pigment. Like I don't have like a pink. I don't have any other pigment happening in my skin. If I'm going to like wear a swimming suit or something, people are like, wow, you're white. And I'm like, really? <laughs> like no shit like you, didn't, but, you didn't know already <laughs> right you're so white oh my gosh and it used to be more of a bigger deal when I was in high school because I think it was more in at that time like kind of in the 2010s late 2000s to like tan go to tanning and yeah pre, pre-kardashian yes go when I go out in the sun I get red and then I get white again um like I can't really tan very well how has that affected how I've acted? I think back then, hotness was kind of equal to tanning because you're picturing like a bikini body with like a tanned body, but you can't really be quote unquote hot if you're like pale, like pasty white, maybe a little bit with men too, right? And I'm talking more from like a late 2000s, early 2010s perspective. Now it's different. And I even had like this boy that I was seeing in high school say, you're pr- you're so pretty, but you're not hot. You're not hot. You're pretty, but you're not hot. And so I think my entire life, and of course, I'm not going to sit here and be like, I'm pretty. <laughs> like, I mean, it's, it's not the worst thing to yeah. be pretty. Hey, have, you, have you ever heard of <laughs> white hot? No. Or just, just like, you know, when something's really hot, it's like white hot. No, I didn't know that. Oh. May things turn white if they're hot? Um, and now that I'm thinking about it, like, I don't know actually what the logic is or like where it comes from, but that is a phrase. It's, it is. it's not usually meant, it's, it's not meant to talk about skin, uh, yeah. color. It's about physical heat, but I thought maybe it would offer you some comfort as a metaphor. Right. I mean, I'm not insecure about a lot of things. So I, I am may more secure in my pasty whiteness now than I ever have been like, this really doesn't bother me that much, but I think it's just kind of changed my psyche a little bit where like I look in the mirror and I'm like, okay, I look pretty. Okay, I'm pretty. Okay, I'm pretty. I don't, I will never like be like, I'm hot because that's just not in the psyche, you know? I don't know. Yeah. And again, like, I'm only pretty. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's not, that's not a bad thing. I am still very privileged to be considered pretty by some people. And I've really worked through a lot of my insecurities. I'm really not nearly as insecure as I was even like in college. I think I've grown a lot. And so this question was actually pretty hard for me because yes, I've been insecure about things, but they don't seem that big anymore. I can talk about how like oh, like I don't sometimes like how big my arms kind of look or like how flabby they might look sometimes. And that was a big deal to me at like 16. But now I just kind of look around and I'm like, I don't care. Another thing that I would get insecure about though was that I would try to shave my pubic hair when I was like trying to wear a swimming suit, but then it gets like chafed and like, (laughs) and I would be so scared that someone would notice yeah, I don't know. Relationship with like body hair is like an interesting thing. If you're like wearing a swimming suit and like maybe you shaved, but it doesn't look very good, but then you missed a spot and like someone's going to know and like, and I don't know, I, I like grow body hair quite qu- pretty quickly. So, which I'm sure you can relate to. <laughs> uh, I think I probably will here in a minute or two. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah. How about, I do want to know about you, though. What's your answer? I would say body hair. Um, I am a little bit hairier than your average Joe. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. Not to, a like, lot. inflate the insecurity, but... Yeah, Tiana's, like, putting me down right now. Yeah, by, I'm like, yeah, you're hairy. Feel bad. I had my little mustache in, like, fifth grade. For real? Yeah. Damn. I have a lot of, like, chest hair and some back hair. and I've always been really insecure about it, particularly in middle school and stuff. Other kids would comment on it and make jokes about it. Uh, because it was like particularly abnormal at that age. As I've gotten older, I don't really get like directly taunted for it anymore. But because of all that in in middle school and stuff, I sort I, I really learned to be very ashamed of it. And for the longest time, I like really avoided going swimming or like anywhere where I had to have like a bare chest. Uh, sometimes in like high school, you'd play pickup sports and there'd be like shirts versus skins. And I was always really anxious that I might end up being on a skins team. So yeah, that'd be rough. It really affected my life a lot because I really did avoid all of those situations as much as possible. And like, I still like, I don't wear, I won't wear V-neck shirts. I'm very particular about my collar because I don't want my hair to show. Um, and I'm getting a lot better about it now. Just in the past few years, I've sort of got comfortable like going to the beach and going swimming and stuff. And really, none of my friends now have ever like have ever commented on it. It's never been a problem. Like I've never been in a relationship where it's been an issue for another for one of my partners. Um, but for some reason, I I think it just goes back to like being made fun of a lot when I was younger and just feeling different than everybody else at that age. That. It still yeah. feels wrong to this day and feels like gross and weird. And um, why would anyone like me? Sometimes I joke about how like I would probably look, quote unquote, more conventionally attractive in the 80s um, because of certain like trends. Like I have some bigger shoulders. So like in the 80s, it was more important to have like some shoulder pads for you. Like it's kind of one of those things where it's like if only I'd been around in the 70s because i'm pretty <laughs> sure like in the 70s i'm pretty sure chest hair was in i guess the thing is like it is in for a lot of people and yeah. it's out for a lot of and like that's the reality of like anything it's like yeah whatever is is sort of popular and on trend is just what like a certain subsect of people have decided there's yeah. still all those other people who are attracted to all those other different things they're just not yeah. being portrayed in the popular media right right you kind of have to make it in maybe <laughs> yeah, like guess, you yeah. like you're gonna be the icon you're gonna be like chest hairs back in and everyone will have a revolution um i don't have that kind of confidence <laughs> to this day about it i mean um, yeah yeah i guess the the point is though farquad maximus farquad really is relatable in that way yeah he has a lot of chest hair yeah oh yeah he does have a lot of chest so there's there's another way I relate to him. But just just the idea that something physically about you can hold so much emotional weight in your life is something that's very relatable. Yeah. Luckily, like I didn't try to like commit genocide against an entire 
group of people. The displacement of a fairy tale population. Yeah, I don't know if you call that genocide or or what. Xenocide, I'm not sure. Banishment. Because they're not really like a species necessarily. Anyways, it was bad. Um, Luckily, I didn't do that. I just um, sort of became really shy and anxious about it. But relatable nonetheless. Very relatable. And even if you think you're getting better with it, it still kind of stays with you throughout life. Kind of. Yeah, I feel that. Well, speaking of size, we've each written a poem in honor of Lord Farquaad's short stature. We've written short poems about him. Would you like to go first or should I go first? I yeah, go you should go first. Yeah, I want to I want to hear yours. All right. Um I was trying to write a haiku but then it it's not a haiku. <laughs> um it, it has too many syllables for a haiku, but I didn't want to give up any of the words, so it's just a short poem, I guess. <laughs> Whenever that happens to me, I'm like, this is a short contemplative poem. Yes, yes, that's what it is. All right, here we go. Run, run, run from the past if you can. I want no part in a fairy tale sham. All right, your turn. (laughs) Sham. All right. It does not matter if the body ceases in length after the boyhood of age 12. Instead, the chest hair grows. My hope. It's like my hope, flowing, thick, and unafraid, to peek out of the covers. The chest hair grows, the petunias, that I pluck off and smell delicately. The end. Very nice. So there's your chest hair poem. There you go. I hope it changes your life. (laughs) Yeah. All right, so... Last last thing uh, that we're trying out, new thing, is we're going to rate our villain using a scale that I am about to invent right now. Okay. Tiana, um, how many big heads do you give Lord Farquaad? Is there a maximum? Five. Five is the maximum number of big heads. I'll give him three. Why? I think he has a lot of good things going for him. Like he's got some land and some people to oversee and he has his shit together, which I appreciate, but the displacement of fairy tale entities just kind of docks him. Mm. So you actually took away heads for his villainy. That you're right, I know. <laughs> But but I still kept the majority because he's actually like, okay, I still think that he's actually a little more respectful than a lot of people would say because first he, he kept his agreement with Shrek, which that's, was pretty cool. He kept true. his word. That's fair. So he's very professional in that regards. When he met Fiona, he still proposed to her. He still like asked her, will you marry me? When he saw her and Fiona said yes, because she was mad at Shrek, they still got married based on an agreement that they both agreed on. To him, it was an agreement of both parties. So he's more respectful than I thought he was going to be. He has his shit together. 
but he's still mean. He still sucks. <laughs> yeah. How about you? Um, I, I actually, I'm also going to give him three big heads out of five. Okay. Because actually of what we don't know about him, which is how he went from an abandoned child in the woods to being the Lord of Duloc. Yeah. Um, we don't know what happened to him, but I think we have to respect that he went through something pretty difficult to get from there to where he is now. So I think that's a plus for him. I think he's not the best. He's not the best villain um, overall. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, you know, ultimately he doesn't really accomplish much. However, he does do some really evil stuff like torture and the gingerbread man sort of exile all the um, fairy tale creatures. Um, it's a villainous thing, but ultimately he's not accomplishing much of it himself. He's mostly just like having henchmen do it. So that, that docked a couple stars. But uh, he's heads. a lord, right? Like he's a lord. And so when I was watching it, I was like, I don't know if lords should be fighting. Right. Like it's kind of like the manager kind of thing. Like the manager should not be in the heat of battle. That's that's fair. Yeah. They should be giving orders and kind of leading. But then you could argue, well, he should be leading with example and go get Fiona and fight for her. Whatever. I am not an expert on the cultural. Yeah, he, he did get to the position he's in now. And yeah, being in that position should include some delegation skills. So how about hey, yeah. three big heads and one unshaven chin? Okay. I like that. Ooh, I like the unshaven chin. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> that five o'clock shadow. Ooh. Yeah. Anyways, that is it for our episode today. Thank you all for listening. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Gmail. All of those are at Nextdoor Villain. I think we're on TikTok as well. TikTok is Nextdoor Villain Podcast. Yep. Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Go embrace your body here. <laughs>